Instead of names and dates, let's focus on the narrative. I'm Adam Blesky. Each month I sit down with a friend to have a real conversation about a part of history that's new to them. The goal is to make connections, to foster curiosity, and to appreciate how incredible the story of humanity truly is. I'm not an expert. This isn't a lecture. This is HI 101. Conspiracy theories are fun. Most people have just enough of a suspicious streak to believe that someone is often trying to pull the wool over our eyes and everyone loves a good plot. While some of the more popular ones about aliens and lizard people and the like are more like science fiction, a lot of the most well-known conspiracy theories actually end up falling squarely into the field of history. Analyzing them responsibly involves examining the evidence, using it to formulate a theory, and then defending that theory against those with opposing views. For some, this is really the only exposure they get to history. So this month, we're going to look at a few of the most popular conspiracy theories from this category. Let's begin. Okay, we're here on HI101 with Becca Blesky. Hello. How's it going? Good, how are you? Very good. I'm very excited to have you on the show finally. Me too, I'm excited. Uh, it took a while for us to find a topic. Yeah, it did. I'm I'm very interested in history, but I'm not very one subject that I would like love to know everything about. Right. Well, that's if one that the... makes sense. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. That's one of the tricky things about this show is like I, I run into a lot of people who are like, I would love to do this, but I don't know what topic I would want to yeah. know about even enough to ask about. Yeah. yeah. Which is you know, I, I kind of get that. And it's it, one of the reasons I want to do it is like, no, like you don't understand. There are so many interesting things out there. But if you don't even know what you might be interested in, then it's kind of hard to know what to ask for, if that yeah. makes sense. So, yeah, yeah. There's too many options. Yeah. I don't think I said you're my sister. Yes. Which should be obvious from the from last name. From my name. name. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's taken two whole years. By yeah. the way, this is the second anniversary of the show. No way. Yeah. That's true. I did know that, actually. I started this in June 2014. That's true. Wow. Wow. How do you feel? I can't believe it's been two years. Yeah. It's kind of amazing. And it's also kind of amazing how much this show has grown for me. Like, yeah. I'm blown away by the amount of just like grassroots support. And like, I, I don't know how people are finding out about the show, but they are. Mm -hmm. And that's awesome. Yeah. It's really, really exciting. So yeah, for sure. I've been watching the numbers grow and grow every month and, and it's super cool. So yay. Yay. Two years in. Congratulations. Yeah. Thanks. So we decided for our topic to talk about something that both of us love quite a bit. So, so much. Which is conspiracy theories. Yes. And it's one of the places I think that history might, at least in, in a popular way, intersect the most with people's sort of entertainment in day-to-day mm -hmm. -day life. Yep. I think this is the place where they get the most like historical information, even if it is like really bad historical information a lot of the time. <laughs> yeah. Um, is, is that like people love talking about stuff like conspiracy theories, talking yeah. about ways that the so-called like established history of everything is like completely wrong and how 
there's someone out there kind of playing puppet master with our lives and eh, people yeah. love talking about this stuff. Yeah, of course. And you and I and our brother Ethan as well, mm-hmm. like watching, let's, let's call it what it is, very trashy TV shows. Oh, super trashy. About specifically conspiracy theories, sometimes alien conspiracy theories, yeah. which are even better. But, even better. And just sitting there and just, just picking them apart. Oh, yeah. It's, it's so entertaining and there's, there's a part of me that gets a little bit sad about it sometimes, but the rest of me is just so into it. Sad because, uh, because there's people out there who so hard, wholeheartedly believe in it. I don't, <laughs> gotcha. I don't want to sound like a jerk or anything, but some of them are just so easy to pick apart and be yeah. like, how, how did this become such a big thing, right. such a widespread thing that it's so like one of the core things that is featured on a series about conspiracy theories. How is this worth a half hour of TV time? Exactly. Yeah. How 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 are there so many people who fully believe in this? I think if anything, I'm kind of jealous of the uh, experts that they bring on the shows. Oh, I yeah. would love to be a conspiracy theory show expert. Yeah. I think I'd be very good at it. Oh, me too. <laughs> oh, for sure. <laughs> because they sit there and they spew just like... Stuff that sounds so convincing. Yeah. But like is is completely they're just like paper dolls. They they fall apart so easily. Oh, so easily. And they're um, so they're so earnest about it. Oh, but that's the best part is like they come in there and they talk about it. Like they are like the you know, the foremost expert in this field. And to to talk about anything other than their viewpoint would be ludicrous. Like just But how could you possibly not believe this? <laughs> And I think I could be that convincing about oh, some of these things. I believe so too. I don't know how I would sleep at night. <laughs> just living with myself and knowing <laughs> that this is what I do for my for my for my living. Yeah. For my income. Yeah. My my very identity. This is what I've dedicated my life to. I can I can very much see Bill Burns from Conspiracy Files. Yeah. Just laying in bed at night going, like, what have I become? <laughs> I had so many aspirations. And now I shoot pretend grainy video for yeah. a tv show from always, i don't even know what always video calling in oh. not even straight talking head on the show <laughs> but you know at the on the other hand like it, it seems like it'd be a lot of fun yeah so instead of picking one because i, I think they fall apart as you said way too quickly for sure uh, we picked four yes that we're going to talk about today yes and go over like what the what the theories are what the so- so-called supporting evidence is. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to spend some time just like Breaking tearing it down. apart, <laughs> talking about the reality of the situation, sure. uh, what our actual evidence is here. So, I mean, be- because history is all about evidence. It's what you have to go off of in terms of primary sources. So sources of, of people who are there or, you know, archaeological records in some cases. There's also, you know, sort of secondary analysis of the, all of that primary yep. source material. But at the end of the day, it's all about going back to what evidence do you have? It's a very like, it's almost kind of like a like a detective kind of process. Yeah. Like it's very much like crime solving. Yes. Which I'm totally into. Excites it. me very much. <laughs> it's, it's super <laughs> satisfying. But, you know, when, when you talk about sort of some of this conjecture, some of the speculation about these conspiracy theories, a lot of the problem that you run into is a lack of evidence mm-hmm. or at the you know even if there isn't like a complete lack of ev- evidence just like some very flimsy evidence holes in the evidence or mm-hmm. you know what you would call circumstantial evidence yeah. which is evidence that really doesn't necessarily 
uh, prove anything in and of itself. It only means something in the context of the argument that you're making, which therefore makes it bad evidence. Yeah. Right. And you get the exact same problems uh, with bad evidence in history with conspiracy theories as you do with with a court case where sometimes it's just like, no, this doesn't mean anything. And yet it's held up by certain people as being a nail in the coffin, as it were. Right. Yeah. So the first one that I want to talk about, which is honestly one of my favorite historical conspiracy theories, is phantom time. Yes. The phantom time theory is, I, I don't even know how many people have heard of this one. I didn't even know about it until until we discussed doing it on on this podcast. It's it's so great because in terms of just like the bullshit meter, yeah, it ranks like so suspicious <laughs> as soon as you hear what it is. <laughs> yeah. That even... Even just like without talking about any of the specifics, I feel like most people would just go like, that can't be right. Yeah, I think you gave me like two or three sentences about it. And I was just like, this is very wrong, but I am all in. (laughs) (laughs) So the phantom time theory was first proposed by uh, a German guy named Herbert Illig in 1991. And what he put forth was that we are not actually in currently the year 2016 it's about 300 years earlier than we think that it is we are currently in the 18th century (laughs) (laughs) he said basically and 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 this is kind of the short version of what happened according to illig is that in the year well just just before the year 1000 there was this massive conspiracy between three parties the holy roman emperor uh, otto the third the Pope, Sylvester II, who, okay. by the way, had been installed by uh, Otto III. Okay. Which, you know, so maybe he's in his pocket. Sure. Maybe he's e- easily manipulated. They're by working the together. They're working together on this one. Mm-hmm. It's, that, that's the definition of conspiracy. So right I mean, there. And then uh, possibly the Byzantine emperor at the time, okay. uh, Constantine VII, might have all gotten together and decided, you know what? Yes, we are currently in the 7th century. Let's just kind of wind the clock forward a little bit so that we are all going to be alive in the year 1000. Okay. Um, why did they want to be alive in the year 1000? That's a great question. That's a very, very good question. Biggest reason is that there are certain interpretations of the Bible where there, there's this thing called millennialism, something like that. I okay. am going to have to put that in the, in the notes. Sure. Basically, the idea is that in, in the book of Revelation, it says that, that Christ is going to return for the second coming and he's going to rule over the world for a thousand years of peace before like the final apocalypse. Okay. Um, and, and there's going to be like a reckoning before that, blah, blah, blah. There's the whole bit with the Antichrist. We don't have yeah. to get into all of that stuff. But right. one of the interpretations of that is that the time that it's going to start is 1000 years after the birth of Christ, the first time. Okay. He's going to come back 1000 years after and then there's going to be the the reign on earth of another 1,000 years. It's all nice and neat, right? Okay, so they wanted to try and be alive for that by mm-hmm. just kind of tricking everybody. <laughs> Which is really interesting because I feel like if you were in the know on all of this, you would have realized that wouldn't necessarily work. I feel like they would know that God is watching them. Well, it's like, it's like okay, if I want more sleep and I go to my alarm clock... <laughs> And I set it back two hours, yeah. so that it gives me extra two hours of sleep in the mm-hmm. morning. 
and my boss calls me and he's angry because I'm not there at work. Yeah. I can't just show him my alarm clock and he's going to be like, oh, yeah, no, I see what happened here. You're right. It is actually seven o'clock and you still do have an hour to get here. No problem. You're off the hook on this Take one. your time. Take your time. Sorry for bothering you so early. Like, that's just not how this works. Right, right. If it's going to be a thousand years from the birth of Christ, it's going to be a thousand years. And yeah. changing the calendar isn't really going to help that much. Right. There are other reasons that they may have wanted to do this, specifically uh, why Otto III would have wanted to do this. Okay. Otto III was part of the first line of emperors to start calling themselves the Holy Roman Emperors. Okay. And a lot of what that's based on is sort of this uh, legitimacy going back to Charlemagne. Um, I did an, uh, an episode at one point on like all about Charlemagne, so people can kind of refer back to it. But the short version is that there was this this king, Charles the Great, that more or less took all of the provinces after the Roman Empire had fallen apart. He kind of conquered them all and like united them into this one big empire Mm -hmm. and was crowned at, well, at the time called Emperor of the Romans by the Pope. Okay. So he was given like both legitimacy as a political ruler and military ruler and as a a spiritual ruler by the Pope, um, which... Is is a pretty a pretty solid mandate for ruling over Europe, right? Yeah, that's a that's a big title right there. Yeah, and then you know after Charles died uh, or Charlemagne died, things kind of fell apart. Basically, what would become France and what would become Germany kind of split off between his sons, mm-hmm. and the the line eventually kind of petered out uh, around the year nine twenty four or so. The last uh, descendant of Charlemagne that was like had a solid claim on the throne. That was the last time they were called uh, Emperor of the Romans. Okay. So Otto's great, uh, Otto III's great grandfather, called Henry the Fowler, was considered like the first prince of like modern Germany. Okay. And his his mother was like five generations down from Charlemagne. Charlemagne. Oh, okay. So it was thought that what might have happened here is that it was useful for Otto III to completely invent someone called Charlemagne. To establish the legitimacy of his family. Because here's the thing. The years that they're proposing uh, being missing from our calendar are between the years 614 and 911. Okay. Now, remember, 924 was the last time that there was a supposedly Carolingian uh, emperor of the Romans, which just barely creeps into the the, the real time, if we yeah. want to call it that. Sure. 9-11 was the last invented year. In 9-12, that's when Henry the Fowler founded the modern German state. So basically, they're saying that the 300 years before Henry the Fowler in, uh, uh, founded that state had been invented. Okay. And it was invented with the purpose of giving Henry that much more legitimacy. Did- so they made up Charlemagne completely as this like very legitimate ruler to help out of the third have extra legitimacy as a ruler of Germany. Did they just discount everything before Henry the Fowler for those 300 years then? Because there's still people alive who would have known like who was ruling and all that. But the year before Henry the Fowler established that state was, according to this theory, in the 7th century, right? It was the year uh, 614, or sorry, 613. So they're saying that that whole 300 years, they went from 613 to 912 in like one year. Now, but this wasn't established until 
just before the year 1000. It was actually, it, yeah, the, the, the accounts of when it's exactly this would have happened kind of vary, but it would have been in the 980s or 990s. Okay, so, so by like the time that... Several generations past where okay. this break happened. Okay, so there's there's nobody really around who's going to be like, uh, no, that's not right. Correct. Okay. I mean, there's various ways of dealing with this. One is that Charlemagne was completely invented to give legitimacy. Another is that uh, Charlemagne just existed much earlier than uh, than our, you know, our traditional history would tell us. Right. The, the man's Our history. mainstream history. <laughs> the popular history. And that all of this stuff happened, but that the they, they just bumped up the year for the religious reasons. Okay. There's also sort of this uh, interesting theory where they talk about sort of inventions of uh, extra kings in between and that they basically took groups of kings and just like repeated them in the histories to make up for all that time. Okay. Again, this is all nonsense. Yeah, yeah. Like let's let's be clear about this. But yeah, I mean, the main the main thrust here is that Otto wanted to basically establish that uh, his great-grandfather's mother, Hedwiga, was the great-great-granddaughter of Charlemagne. That gave him legitimacy as a ruler. Right. And people couldn't challenge him as ruler of Germany. Okay. The Pope, Sylvester II, was in his pocket. And they basically con- convinced the Byzantine emperor, who in this theory is basically the only other like person important enough that you had to convince them to change the year, right. uh, decided to go along with them for uh, religious reasons. Okay. Because at this point, the schism hasn't happened yet uh, between the Orthodox and uh, Roman Catholic Church. Okay. And so he still wants to do what the Pope says. It's important to him. Sure. So things that support this theory, I mean, number one is there's not a lot of archaeological evidence for the period that we're talking about here. That's sort of like high Middle Ages. Um, There isn't a lot of like actual good solid like in the ground buildings that you can find that date to that period, pottery or other fragments like that. Did it just not last or is there? Well, I mean... This is one of the keys of like misdirection when it comes to conspiracy theories, right? right? Because absence of evidence is not evidence of absence, right? Right. Which basically means just because there isn't evidence there doesn't prove that those 300 years didn't happen. Yeah. It just means that it didn't survive particularly well. Okay. There doesn't necessarily, like that's not something you really need to defend all that well. No. Because there is archaeological evidence from that time. It's just not as plentiful as other times and okay yeah so yeah i mean there are lots of periods throughout time where we you know spans of hundreds of years where we don't have good archaeological evidence mm-hmm. just because those 300 years doesn't have a lot doesn't really mean a whole lot doesn't mean that they didn't exist the other thing is that there's a lot of evidence or a lot of uh, emphasis put on like written records from around this time okay and a lot of those have actually been found to have been doctored in some way by the church Okay. Which puts a lot of suspicion on these documents. Right. Right. And uh, conspiracy theorists will point to these sort of uh, altered documents as clear uh, evidence of the church being involved in this uh, in this conspiracy. They messed with this. They must be very sneaky. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Why else would you mess with something like this? Sure, sure. There's a style of architecture called Romanesque that comes into vogue in the 10th century. Okay. Which is very, very evocative of the buildings that were being built in the late Roman period. Which uh, seems very suspicious because now we're talking like over five centuries. Like if you consider the traditional timeline. (laughs) Sorry. I can't do that without putting so much stank on it. Um, 
if you consider the traditional timeline, it seems like a really long time to go back to that style. Right. All of a sudden. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's really odd. Like usually our, uh, our art styles evolve and change over time enough that that shouldn't really be rolling back around. Yeah. There's just sort of this pervasive attitude when it comes to ancient people that they were just really dumb. And you'll see this in a lot of stuff when it, when, when you look at things like uh, building the pyramids, for example, where it's like people were too dumb to do this. Yeah. Therefore, it can't be just people building a pyramid. Right. It had people, to be aliens are, helping them. <laughs> people are crazy crafty. Yeah. They're, they're real good at figuring stuff out. Yeah, yeah. So basically where, where that comes in with, uh, with the, the phantom time hypothesis is that they're basically saying people were illiterate and very easy to fool when it came to the date because basically you would have to go to your parish priest to ask what the date was anyways because they were the only ones who kept a calendar properly, right? Yeah, that's true. Not everybody had one hanging in their kitchen. Almost no one had one hanging in their kitchen. Yeah. And so if you have a conspiracy involving both the royalty and the church, it would be easy enough to basically change all of them over and have people go like, are you sure that's what the year is? And it's like, uh, yeah, shut up. Get out of here. Yeah. That's true. They're they're basically ruling everybody. There's everybody is uh, loyal to one of the two or both of the two. Exactly. Well, if if you you have only two places where you can ask, and it's it's the two that are supposedly in on this conspiracy. Yeah. But then we have like the most or the strongest and possibly most interesting piece of evidence for there being three hundred years missing, and this is actually really interesting. Okay. What do you know about the Julian calendar versus the Gregorian calendar? Is the Gregorian calendar the one that's cyclical? Like it's the Gregorian the calendars one? are current calendar. It's <laughs> the one we currently one? use. Okay, yeah. And it's a modification of the Julian calendar. Okay. Which was actually invented by Julius Caesar. Yeah, I knew that. Part. It's it's a modification of the old Roman calendar. Okay. Do you know why they had to modify it to the Julian or the Gregorian calendar? I don't. The Julian calendar lost a fairly significant amount of time per year. Okay. Enough that by the time um, Pope Gregory the Thirteenth put in calendar reforms in 1582, they had to adjust by 10 days. Okay. It had, it had skewed so much off of the uh, equinoxes because the idea is that like March 21st um, and September 21st should be at the, uh, at the uh, equinoxes, right? Right. Wait, do I have that wrong? Is equinox the fall or is it, is it the, the winter? I thought it was the fall. Yeah, it's the fall. I'm just I'm just questioning myself now. I'm just <laughs> I'm just doubting my own. Listen, I've been on so many weird websites. I don't know what to believe <laughs> these days. I have read things no one should be reading. And and now I have no idea what's true anymore. How many years do you think you lost on these websites? About 300? <laughs> About 300. <laughs> Solstice is winter and the and the summer. Yes. There we go. There we go. We got it. We did it. We're there. We're there. The uh, the equinoxes had changed by a full ten days, where like the uh, March twenty first and September twenty first are supposed to be the days where essentially the the sunlight is is balanced, right? That's the whole mm-hmm. like you know the the stand the egg on the end thing. Yeah. Right. Which yeah, is there's actually a whole bunch of, like weird things has nothing it. to do with the equinox at all, but no. it's it's fun sure. to try. Sure. Why um, not? Likewise, the solstices should be the shortest and longest days of the year, respectively, right? Yeah. It had drifted off of that, right? Okay. Because one of the things that the Gregorian calendar puts into place is things like leap years. Yeah. Like that's, that's its biggest addition is leap years and a better system of leap years than was in place with the Julian calendar. Okay. Because 
the Gregorian calendar is actually kind of interesting in how it deals with the difference between uh, the lunar calendar and the solar calendar, because that's really what's not matching up here, right? The the years of 365 and a quarter days yeah. or so. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, it would be nice if the rotation of the Earth and the orbit of the moon and our orbit around the sun all matched up perfectly, but they just to don't. To an exact number of really hours. Neat. Sorry? Really. But they, they yeah. just don't. So... What it does is, you know, every four years you get the leap year, except you don't get a leap year on century years, unless it's also a millennium year. So the rules are kind of, kind of tricky. That's confusing. <laughs> so this year, 2016 was a leap year. was a leap year. We had an extra day. Yeah. 2100 will not be a leap year, even though it's divisible by four. However, 2000 was a leap year because it was a millennium year. Oh, and that keeps it surprisingly very accurate, mathematically speaking. Interesting. We do a pretty good job. The Julian calendar is still actually being used by mainly the Orthodox Church because of the uh, the religious calculations that go into it. There's a whole... Uh, do, do you know much about how Easter is calculated? It's actually kind of interesting. It's, isn't it partially to do with the moon phases yep. and the however many weeks into the year it is or something like that a number of weeks after the full moon or something it's yeah, something like yeah. that it's 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 overly complicated and for a very long time it was a it was complete secret like it was a church secret when easter was gonna be really um, it turns out that the way you figure it out is it is the first sunday after the first full moon after the spring equinox so like the earliest okay. you can have it is like march 23rd Okay. Because if the equinox is on the 21st and the full moon is on the 22nd and those are Friday and Saturday, then Sunday can be Easter. Oh. That's why it moves around so much yeah. every year. Yeah, yeah. In fact, about, oh, four or five years ago, I think it was the earliest that it could possibly be. Yeah. And, then, was, and then it was like late April. Yeah. A few years after. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of interesting that way, but... You've got similar calculations for other uh, religious holidays that are based on the moon. Um, Easter is the main one, but mm -hmm. the Julian or the the Orthodox Church decided not to change the calendar because they didn't want to change the way that these religious holidays were being calculated. Okay. So the way that Easter and Christmas and things like that line up for the Orthodox Church is constantly drifting further and further away from what we use the Gregorian in the Gregorian calendar. Right. So. Right now, uh, Christmas is constantly about 12 days later than the December 25th on the, the Gregorian calendar. Okay. But about every 100 years, you'll add an extra day to that. Okay. And then, uh, because of the moon aspect in it, Easter for the Orthodox Church jumps around all over the place, completely separate from the way that we calculate Easter in uh, the Gregorian calendar. Okay. So what does all of this have to do with lost time? When... Pope Gregory XIII decided to calculate the, diff the difference uh, in, the, in the calendars to get everything back on track. People went to bed on October the 4th, and they woke up on October the 15th of 1582, which, like, must have been, like, real confusing. Yeah. But, you know, they, they figured it out. Sure. I, I feel like it would be much more disruptive these days than it oh, would have been yeah. in 1582. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. For sure. You'll notice that that's a 10-day difference. The amount of drift from uh, the Julian calendar was about a day per century, which means it should have been 13 days of correction, but they only corrected 10. Three days means three centuries. 
300 years. 300 years. Which is a strong point. Mm-hmm. Why wasn't it corrected by 13 days? Because when you do the math, that's that's right. If you wanted to correct it back to when Julius Caesar started the Julian calendar, it should have been about 13 days of correction. It's okay. just shy of a day per 100, per 100 years. That's That's a compelling point. I actually really like that. Yeah. It's fun when conspiracy theories actually have like legitimate proof anything going for them at all yeah like as funny as the whole like illuminati lizard men thing can be <laughs> yeah i don't know there's not really much there i i i've yet to see any proof of lizard men yeah. in any in any particular way if i do i'm gonna be way back on board with that one all over it yeah but at this point yeah you know but this calendar thing pretty good so let's pick it apart okay We'll leave the calendar for last, because that's the funnest one. Sure. The first criticism of the phantom time thing is uh, ancient astronomy. We tend to look at things like political records and writings and stuff like that as being very strong evidence for historical record. And for good reason. That's kind of where history comes from, right? It starts by people's accounts of things. But I think a lot of people forget that there are other ways to verify things that have happened in history. And, like, archaeology in particular is often, like, completely left off the table. Right. Whereas it can be a really useful tool. Yeah, for Uh, sure. For example, the uh, the legitimacy of the city of Troy was a debate for a very long time until someone actually went and found an actual city uh, where it was supposed to be. Right. And then it's kind of like, okay, well, okay, yeah, I guess it was real. Yeah. This is, you you, you solved the problem. Oh, no, no, it is here. It's here. We found it. Uh Uh-huh. Yep, this is no longer a debate. <laughs> but I mean, one of the one of the uh, the hallmarks of this this uh, argument is the lack of archaeological evidence. So even then, it's just kind of like, well, we're just looking at people's our, our assumed motivations uh, of these people, and you know the writings that are taking place in this period, and you know all all of this random stuff. And it's kind of like there's another thing that we can look at that's a really good indicator of the passage of time, and right. that's uh, astronomy. Okay, yeah. Because we're really good at figuring out things like calculating eclipses. That used to be such a difficult thing to do and such a, uh, an amazing thing to do that if you could do it properly, you would basically be like a court magician. Yeah. If you could be like, yeah, there's going to be a solar eclipse on this day and it happened, set for life. Yeah, for sure. Whereas now that's... You punch in a date to a computer and it figures it out for you. Yeah, it comes up on your Twitter feed and you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> we, we, we've got it really well figured out. But what that also means is that we can go back, like we can we can calculate back to when eclipses would be. And we could calculate back to when comets were mm-hmm. and things like that that are very, very notable. And people wrote about that stuff all the time. Oh, for sure. Comet shows up in the air, you're going to be writing about it. Oh, yeah. And one very, very obvious candidate for tracing time is Halley's Comet because it is like clockwork every 76 years. Yes. Yeah. I heard that it's starting to fall apart. It might only have like two or three more go arounds before it's done. Really? Yeah. It's kind of sad. Yeah, it is sad. But you can watch for, you know, going back every 76 years, you should have uh, people talking about there being a comet a in comet, the sky. Yeah. It's, it's right there. It's very easy to trace. Yeah. The other one is eclipses. People talk about eclipses a lot. They, you know, now we know exactly what's going on. The the moon is passing in front of the sun. And if you get a total eclipse, that means that it's blocking up the entire uh, sun disk. And it's, it's amazing. It's an Mm -hmm. incredible event. Yeah. 
But if you don't know what's going on there, oh my goodness. Like Terrifying. Number, number of myths and legends that came out of the idea of like the sun being eaten by the moon, which is just a great basis for a myth. Oh, for sure. That is some compelling writing right there. Oh, yeah. But yeah, no, I'm, I'm living 3,000 years ago. I'm going to be worried. Oh, yeah. You think the end is coming. <laughs> you think you're about to die. There are a couple of eclipses that are written about so specifically that we can be like, we can guarantee that they are talking about this eclipse because they're, they're talking like they're writing about it on this date at this time in this location. And it's like that, those, those match up. If those match up, yeah, we're talking about the same one. Right. right? There's one in 59 CE and there's another one in 418 CE, both of which are before the phantom time was supposed to have taken off. So it's supposed to have been taken off. So that means if those still match up, those 300 years didn't go anywhere. Right. That's that's pretty good proof. Yeah. Um, and very, very hard to argue against. Now, yeah, yeah. proponents of this theory will say like, oh, well, that was a different eclipse that I was talking about, blah, blah, blah. And eh, come on. That's just, you've been beat. Yeah. Just accept it. Yeah. There's also calibration with other societies in terms of astrological events, such right. as China, who did a lot of writing about astrology. Yeah. And why would China get in on this whole missing 300 years thing? Yeah. Uh, they wouldn't. I mean, you can cross check your facts. <laughs> well, there, actually, interestingly enough, there are a lot of people who think that there is some phantom time going on in China because the uh, Chinese civilization stretches back so far in an unbroken chain okay. that they think that it might have been embellished. Oh, okay. But that's a that's a whole separate issue. Sure. I mean, it's it's got similar reasons for being disproven as as what we're talking about here. Right. Um. We we just have a very similar sounding conspiracy theory going on there. Yeah. There's also the fact that there is archaeological evidence from that time, oh. and it does disprove that there was any time taken away. Like it is properly dated. It show, shows a proper you know progression. You'll you'll see th- things in like uh, tool making where okay. like things will get like more sophisticated in certain ways and like you can see how they've like oh and here's where they added like a better style of handle and oh here's where they figured out that if they put something on an angle it works better and you know you know like they yeah they can figure that out like fairly easily sure and so yeah there's just a little bit of evidence from that area but it's good evidence yeah and it disproves the phantom time <laughs> those those documents that were falsified by the by the church there are tons of non-falsified documents we're not entirely sure why the ones that were falsified were falsified and it is a major problem in archaeology and in history trying to like figure out which ones are are legitimate and why things were falsified and that's still like an ongoing conversation a little bit right but just because some of them aren't good doesn't, doesn't... mean not all of them are exactly good. exactly and so also a lot of the time the reason they're falsified wouldn't actually support any missing time or point to any greater conspiracy with the, you know between the church and the holy roman empire or like it, it wouldn't help the theory in any way okay it's just somebody made up a document and they're going like well why else would they make up documents which is a bad argument yeah, yeah <laughs> it's yeah. a terrible one finally well not finally we're, we're not quite done a 300 year fabrication would require a corresponding fabrication between the holy roman empire the papacy Mm-hmm. the Byzantine Empire. And I mean, really the only ones that we have like really good reasons for is the Holy Roman Empire with Otto III trying to prove his own legitimacy. Mm-hmm. So you have 
the papacy you would have to who would have to create a whole bunch of fake popes you know the byzantine empire would have to create a whole bunch of fake emperors mm-hmm. and even if those three are in on it and have somehow decided to go along with Otto III's plan yeah you also have to take into account everybody else in the world yeah falsifi- falsifying that same 300 years it's incredibly eurocentric which is oh yeah something that like I think people should be quicker to recognize about that theory as a problem. Yeah. But like even Anglo-Saxon England has records of all of that time and they're not involved in the continent at all. They're just doing their own thing. Yeah. You know, the whole Danish empire, you know, the, the Vikings, they're doing their own thing. They do not care about the year 1000. Yeah. Not even a little bit. During this time period, uh, Muhammad lived and founded Islam. Yeah. There were the uh, Islamic wars of expansion just after uh, the foundation of Islam, uh, which includes the expansion from Morocco up into Spain in uh, the year 711. Um, that was a major event in, in European history. Those Islamic people who had come to be known as the Moors wouldn't be expelled from Spain until 1492. So oh. that ongoing conflict there started during the so-called phantom time. Right. Which is, like again, really problematic. Like, how do you get all of that stuff to line up? Mm-hmm. And that's not even to start talking about civilizations in India, in China, in Japan, in, like, all over the world, in very, like, in places that kept very good records. Yeah. Uh, the Mayan civilization. Yeah. Like, you, you have all of these places that, like, have records of these times. The Mayans were great calendar keepers. Like, that's, yeah. that's kind of one of the things they're known for. <laughs> They kept track. They knew what was going on. Yeah, yeah. And they kept track of the uh, of these um, eclipses as well. So I mean, yeah. yeah, that's 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 really hard to convince everyone, including people you have not had contact with, to make the same changes for such a petty reason. Yeah, it makes no sense. Right, it makes yeah. no sense whatsoever. By the way, I've talked about calendars a lot in this one. I would actually totally be down for doing an episode on calendars. Like exclusively at some point, they're so there's interesting. There's so much to talk about with there's it. There's so much, and and not just like our own calendar, but calendars all over the world, and the way that they've, you know, that they decided to make them work for their society. It's just such a fascinating topic. Yeah, I feel like that's one of those ones that people will go like, "No, I'm gonna skip that one." <laughs> like it sounds like a really boring topic. It seems boring, but once you actually like get into it, there is so much going on with that. Yeah, there's so many. I mean, there's multiple different calendars across mm-hmm. civilizations and stuff there's yeah. a lot going on there yeah absolutely but the final bit of evidence that just like absolutely kills this theory is the gregorian calendar reset itself it actually disproves its own relevance to this conspiracy theory which is that gregory the 13th wasn't trying to reset the calendar to when it was created by julius caesar when you are a pope in the 16th century, you don't care what Julius Caesar wanted. You really don't. What you care the most about is church history. Right. And specifically, like we talked about, the calculation of Easter, that's where calendars and religion really interse- intersect. Right. And that's where it matters the most. So what Gregory was looking at was the Council of Nicaea, which is the religious ca- council where they determined how to calculate Easter. And he decided that he wanted the ca- the calendar to be reset back to the way it was during the Council of Nicaea when they determined that because he believed that that was the most accurate way, spiritually speaking, to continue to calculate Easter going forward. Okay. 
they determined it using the Julian calendar modified forward to the Council of Nicaea. And he felt that they should use those rules as closely as possible. The Council of Nicaea took place in 325, 300 years after the Julian calendar had been established. Okay. There's your missing 300 years due to the establishment of the Gregorian calendar. It's interesting when you look at stuff like this, how compelling the evidence can be at first for a massive cover-up when it's all coming at you from one viewpoint. Right. Stuff can be built in a certain way to be very convincing. And that that calendar one, man, that's a really good piece of evidence. Oh, that's yeah, a great yeah. argument. Yeah, it's great. When you dig just a tiny bit, it's really not hard sometimes to find a very logical and sensible contradiction to that. Right. So that's that's Phantom Time. How do you feel about that one? That was a pretty good conspiracy. It is really good. And I like that it is early because mm-hmm. I find that a lot of the conspiracy theories I hear about kind of happen, you know, 50s to 80s. Oh, we're when... living in the 20th century for the rest yeah. of this topic. Yeah. yeah. There's so much more in very recent history. Mm-hmm. And I really like that it happened early on, too. Yeah, I, I thought this was a good example of the whole, like, early people are easy to manipulate and dumb. And it's super easy to have, like, a completely world-changing conspiracy and just pull the wool over everybody's eyes. Yeah. It's like, no, that's not that's not how the world works. Like, no. That's, I, I, I get why that seems compelling. I think a lot of people like to think that there's some sort of, like, deeper machinations going on. Yeah, yeah. When, in, in reality, no, there doesn't need to be. Yeah. No, I like that just... You know, as long as there's been stuff going on, there's been people who are like, but is this what's happening? (laughs) (laughs) Always. I I just, I just like that there's people who, you know. Oh, I think it's a very human tendency and I think it's something that we're going to keep running into as we keep going. Yeah. No, I like it a lot. All right. Well, let's leave Phantom Time behind. Uh, We'll take a quick break and uh, move on to our next topic when we come back. Sounds good. Okay, we're back on HI101 here with Rebecca Blesky. Hello. And did you know that jet fuel can't melt steel beams? I did. <sighs> history history technically uses like a 20-year buffer between the present and what it starts considering history. Yeah. Generally just like keep it a little bit separate from just current so events. Just so you forget just enough. Just to keep it separate from current events. Yeah. Because like you kind of gotta because stuff comes out. Yeah. afterwards that like you, you really want that info before you make start making snap decisions yeah and when we pick this topic can i just say that i am so glad that we're only 15 years after 9 11 because i don't think i could bring myself to do that no that would have been those truthers are just that would have been a lot i mean i get where the suspicion comes from i yes. do people have this need sometimes i think to look at an event and go like this is too like senseless and too big and too raw to deal with for it to have been you know completely uh random or completely you know orchestrated by a very small number of people yeah. you know our government should be able to uh protect us from stuff like this and and they it, it's almost like they need to come up with justifications or, or or versions of the story that take that element out of things there's like a complete trust and mistrust all at the same time around 
giant things like that. Yeah, and it's interesting because it's almost like they uh, would prefer that there was some sort of insidious plan over it just being completely chaotic. Yeah, for sure. uh, In nature. People need to make sense of things in some way or another, even if it's kind of crazy. Absolutely. That being said, the flip side of all of that is that People seem to think that governments can't pull anything off ever except for keeping secrets. Yeah. They have so much faith in the ability of a government to keep a secret and complete lack of faith in their ability to actually execute anything amazing. Yeah. And that's what we're going to talk about next with the Apollo moon landings. Yeah. Uh-huh. I've seen an inter- internet video of Buzz Aldrin punching a guy for saying that the moon landings were fake. Yes. And this wasn't like... A video from like 1975 when he was no, still no, young no. and sprightly. This is like super old Buzz Aldrin punching a young guy in the face. Yeah. And you know what? No one charged him with assault because that man is a damn hero. <laughs> yeah. And what are you going to do? Charge Buzz Aldrin for assault when somebody is telling him that he didn't actually walk on the moon? Yeah. That's It's it's not going to go over very well. <laughs> Buzz Aldrin will probably also court. punch you <laughs> for charging him. Like... Not even, not even for being the guy trying to bring those charges, but can you be, can you imagine being the judge who had to try and charge or ha- had to try and bring sentence against Buzz Aldrin? I would not want that job. Are judges allowed to refuse cases? Because I don't know. I think so. I mean, the because other thing if too yes, is, I would definitely refuse that. The other thing too is a lot of judges in the states are elected. True. I mean, could you imagine keeping your position if you were the guy that charged Buzz Aldrin? Yeah. You would drop in popularity. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. But I mean, if I had been on the moon, which Buzz Aldrin has, by the way, yeah, I'd probably punch somebody that said that I wasn't there. Yeah. That I can't imagine a more meaningful and life-changing event. Like For sure. And it's amazing. Every astronaut that's come back, I mean, not even the ones that were on the moon, but just the ones that have been to orbit have talked about the amount that it's changed their perspective on life and and, and their outlook and things like mm-hmm. that. Yeah, when it when it comes to uh, the moon landings, though, people do not think they happened. Like a lot of the time, a weirdly large amount of the time. Yeah. And I think this is one of those examples. Again, I'm going to refer back to the pyramids. We're not going to talk about the pyramids, but I think this is another one of those examples of things where people are like, ah, it looks too hard. I don't think we actually did it. Yeah. Looks looks too difficult. When in reality, I think it's I think it's a lot more fun to celebrate such a monumental achievement. Yeah. Like let's let's get let's get excited. We walked on the moon. That's awesome. Yeah. My phone has a better computer than they had on the spaceship that went to the moon. And they survived. And they, so they made it. No one died on the moon. <laughs> How'd they pull that off? <laughs> they tried running their calculations through a computer. And then they decided they didn't trust the computer and they gave it to a lady and she did all the calculations by hand. Did you know about this? I did. There's, there's some lady who hand calculated all the vectors for the moon landings for the trip from the Earth to the moon. Look, once people have started to discover how badass lady scientists have been in history, oh. you start to realize like they have done some crazy stuff. I, yeah, I'm, I'm all for it. So much respect. Absolutely. And yeah, she, she never gets any I know. credit, which is yeah, too bad. But it is. anyways, listen, July 20th, 1969. Yes. Neil Armstrong steps out on the moon. It's the whole one step for man, one giant leap for mankind, Mm -hmm. which is actually one step for a man, 
which I think he flubbed, but people say that the radio cut out. Maybe he got nervous. Wouldn't you? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He apparently came up with that, like, while he was, like, on the way down. Like, he didn't have that planned out, is the story. <laughs> hey, hey, Neil? What what you going to say, buddy? Buddy, you got to oh, give no. us a quote. You got to oh, give no. us a quote, man. Couldn't you guys have, like... Hooked me up. You've put millions of dollars into the training for this mission. You couldn't have written me two lines. You didn't hire a speechwriter. <laughs> there was there was another there was another astronaut who I think it was Apollo 15, 15 or 16. I'll have to check into this. I, I forgot to write it down. But there had been like accusations that the quotes from the astronauts stepping out onto the moon had been written. And they kept coming back and saying, like, no, 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 no one wrote that. I just said that. I just said that. So it was 15 or 16 that the guy got out on the moon and he, he said something like, yippee, look at me, mom, I'm on the moon. <laughs> Just as like a way of like proving that it was ad-libbed. That's hilarious. I'll, I'll look up what it actually was and, and put it in the notes. But yeah, I always like that one a lot. That's great. I think, I think the moon landings in general are well known enough that we don't have to go over the whole story. Right. I did an episode on the space race at one point, which is... I, I actually really liked that one. It was really interesting. But we went in depth on like the whole thing from like the the first satellites going up or, yeah. or even actually World War II, the, the V2 rockets yeah, yeah. used by Germany all the way through to uh, basically to the uh, the ending of the Apollo program. Okay. But, I mean, we, we touched briefly on the shuttles, but, you know, the, sh- the shuttles are like the, I love them when I was a kid. The more I learn about them, the more like weird and awkward and kind of sad they seem yeah they're a little shoddy (laughs) the main proposal of the moon landing hoax though is that they were completely fabricated as a way to cheat in winning the space race against the russians Mm -hmm. right basically they said they shot all of this fake footage of these these astronauts being on uh, a so-called moon got it all set up ready to go they put them onto uh, an atlas V rocket shot them into space left them in orbit for you know, eight days. And meanwhile, while they were up there, broadcast this footage from these sound stages as though they were really on the moon to fool the American public and to fool the Soviet Union into thinking that the United States had won the space race. Yeah. This was first proposed as early as 1974. There was a guy named uh, Bill Casing who claimed that the odds were way too low he had them at, at less than a thousandth of a percent uh, of success wow and he he wrote a whole book on on how it had been completely fabricated and the the conspiracy theories started from there and just like kept on building like right. they it, it was it was surprisingly soon after the the moon landings that these started coming out a lot of people and i i mean that's the thing about conspiracy theories is they're they're so diverse I'm kind of giving like a very broad general version of it. Right. And there are so many subsets within and they will argue with each other, which I find kind of interesting. Yeah, that's that's crazy. But a lot of people believe that it was basically created by Disney, that um, Arthur C. Clarke scripted it and that Stanley Kubrick uh, directed the whole thing. Okay. Which is what a dynamite team from the men who brought you 2001 A Space Odyssey. Sure, sure. Uh, the Apollo 11 moon landings, <laughs> starring Buzz Aldrin, Neil Armstrong, and can you remember the third guy? Uh, I love asking people this. No one can remember the poor third guy that stayed out. It's the one that 
I know his name as soon as I hear it, and I always feel so bad for not remembering it. Michael Collins. Michael Collins. Michael Collins, the saddest, the Poor saddest Michael Apollo Collins. astronaut, the yeah. guy who had to stay up in the he capsule while the other on. two got to run around on the moon. No one remembers Michael Collins. Or Michael Collins. Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin, and the guy who hung out up top. Do you think Michael Collins would have punched somebody who said it was falsified? No, I think Michael Collins would punch somebody who'd be like, wait, who are you? <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. My, there was my, a third guy? Michael Collins? Who, no, I don't. That doesn't ring a bell. Uh, poor guy. Why would they bother doing this? Why would they put them up on a, like the most expensive rocket known to man, put them up there for eight days, and send back a bunch of footage of the moon? Why would they bother doing this? To beat Russia, of course. To beat Russia, of course. The space race was very, very political. And I think looking back now, 50 years later, it's kind of easy to forget how political it yeah. was and how important it was. Yeah, to it, seems the Cold pretty, War. it seems pretty ridiculous now, but... I think, and, and this is something I pointed out in the in the space race episode. But I think one of the things that doesn't quite connect for people today is the connection between space rockets and ICBMs. Yeah, because the Cold War is all about the ability to deliver nuclear weapons uh, yeah. against your enemies, mm-hmm. and the best way to do that is with rockets. Yeah, and so showing off how good a rocket you have for going into space is kind of covertly showing off how good a rocket you have to destroy your enemy yeah yeah Yeah. and so yeah it just turns into this uh this this huge um i'm trying to think of a way not to say pissing contest but let's go with that yeah basically Mm -hmm. (laughs) but yeah that's that's what it's about it's about icbms and i mean by the end of the space race by the time that they're putting people on the moon there's been a complete divergence between the space rockets that they're using and the nuke rockets that they're using. And so it becomes less important. And that's why you see a lot of the fall off after the, the landing on the moon. The actual step onto the moon was as much symbolic of the win of the space race as it was a message to Russia. Because right. by the late 60s, those two programs had become different enough that they weren't quite as synonymous as they were in the late 50s, early 60s when it started out. Mm-hmm. That being said, it's absolutely sticking it to the Russians to get there first. Oh, yeah, yeah. But the interesting thing about getting there first was that the terms of the space race were really set by Kennedy uh, in the early 60s when he basically said, we are going to the moon by the end of the decade. Yeah. You know, and had that great speech about, you know, we choose to do this not because it's easy, but because it's hard. And yeah, yeah. Like, just, oh, great speech. Yeah. Fantastic. But I mean, before that, what was, like, how do you win the space race? Like, they had gotten to the point where they could put a guy into orbit. Mm-hmm. And now what? Yeah, like, what's is, next? And, and and one big alternative to the moon was how long do you stay in space? So building space stations. Right. And chances are, if that had been the way that we were going, the Russians probably would have won. They were really good at that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, have you ever heard of uh, Mir, like space station? Yeah. It was it was a very, very good space station compared to Skylab and stuff like that that the Americans were putting up. Yeah. And a little bit earlier as well. Right. They, they were pretty good at staying in orbit for a long time it's yeah. still kind of their strong suit with yeah. the you know the soyuz capsules going up to the international space station That's yeah what they're good at yeah. um so by defining the space race as being about a race to the moon kennedy had kind of redefined terms in americans favor in american favor yeah and they ended up following through which is kind of amazing when you think about it when he said that they had barely gotten a guy into space at all 
Yeah. The the scope and scale and and progress of the space program in the 60s is is absolutely amazing, which is what makes it so hard to believe, really. Yes. Um, but the amount of budget that was going to it was astronomical. That's it. Uh, <laughs> <sighs> well, feel bad about that right as soon as it came out of my mouth. <laughs> there were other reasons for potentially faking uh, walking on the moon. NASA was concerned about their funding. Okay. Um, you know, they were starting to drop off as they were no longer quite as relevant for military reasons anymore. Mm-hmm. Also, their reputation. You have to remember that what would become designated as Apollo 1, uh, which was a, a test flight basically of the Saturn V delivery system, ended in tragedy when the uh, the capsule caught on fire while still on the launch pad and three, three astronauts uh, died, yeah. making them completely rethink the entire program and doing the first five missions i believe completely unmanned yeah to test the the hardware uh to give them better ways out of the capsules things like that refine their procedure and everything exactly there had been talk about the russians having lost astronauts but really they hadn't like for for the most part they hadn't really lost too many that we knew of right losing three astronauts on the launch pad very publicly made nasa look really bad oh yeah i I mean I, i know it's it's obvious but you know, that's that's something that's kind of on NASA's mind when they're doing this whole thing of sending somebody to the moon. That's we talked about how how difficult the odds were a little bit earlier. I mean, yeah, that's that's true. It's really hard to do. Yeah. Have you ever read the speech that Nixon had prepared for if uh, the Apollo 11 astronauts died on the moon? I don't think I have, but I knew I know there was one. It's chilling. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's really kind of creepy and it's one of those things that it's not creepy because there's anything wrong with the speech, but because it really makes you think about how close that was to happening. It's nice to look back and, you know, before you and I were ever born, these things happened and they were successful and we know that every single one of them were successful and they came back safe and now they're over. And like that element of like danger and uncertainty is kind of taken out of it. Yeah, it's nicely wrapped up at this point, but... At the time. That could have been a one-way trip. That was one of the things that Kennedy defined in that speech was that we're going to send a man to the moon and bring him home safe. Right. That was was key in that mission mandate, which makes sense. I mean, it would have been kind of weird if he had been like, we're going to send a guy to the moon. Uh, We might have to leave him there, though. We'll see what happens after that. (laughs) Listen, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, that, that, that was an absolute possibility of, of losing more people. And NASA was worried that if somebody died up there, the entire space program would be canceled. And so proponents of this theory are going, well, NASA didn't want to leave it to chance. Mm-hmm. And so they faked the whole thing and made it successful. Yeah. They, you know, if you can't win the game, you know, change it. Yeah. It's a fake it till you make it kind of theory. Exactly. Give them more time to develop. There is a final, I think, probably the most cynical theory about this, which was that it was a distraction from the Vietnam War. Okay. That the the public was so... I, I mean, it, it's weird for us talking about the Vietnam War because, again, we didn't have to go through any of that. But one of the things to remember about Vietnam is that it was the first like really publicly broadcasted war in okay. American history. And you don't get like these sort of heroic newsreels coming back like you did in World War II. You get raw footage of what was actually happening there. Yeah. And it was also a very different type of war from what you had in World War II in that it was asymmetrical. You had 
uh, guerrilla troops. There wasn't really a good way to win in Vietnam. It was more of an occupation than it was a, a pitched battle. Yeah. And that made it significantly more brutal. Yeah. So not only the soldiers, but also the public were really burnt out on Vietnam. They didn't know why they were there. Yeah. Uh, they didn't want to keep seeing what was happening over there. They were sick of their kids being drafted for what was seen as a completely senseless conflict. This theory is is saying that the moon landings gave Americans something positive to distract them from Vietnam. People need good news. Let's give them something. Yeah, let's give them something to unite in a patriotic manner as well. Right. Because it was a very patriotic act. Kind of relight that flame. Mm -hmm. So why do people think it was faked? I can't talk about all the photographic oddities. Yeah. There's so many things about, well, you know, the lighting in this thing is off by this much. and Yeah, the shadows like go that. the wrong direction. The flag shouldn't be yeah. doing what it's doing. And... Yeah. Yeah, the flag waving as he's planting it in the ground. Why would a flag be waving? You also have a lot of photos where it's like, look at this, uh, look at this horizon and then look at this footage that's supposedly from a completely different area and look how the, the, the horizon is exactly the same. Okay. I mean, if you're doing it on the soundstage and you're, uh, you're reusing footage your set. or, or yeah. sets, sorry, uh, then yeah, okay, I can see that. I can see where they're coming from on that. The question of who filmed Neil Armstrong when he was stepping out. Checkmate. Yeah. The Van Allen radiation belts, which is just outside of the Earth's uh, ionosphere. Basically, the, the magnetic field that's protecting all of us from a lot of the solar radiation. Getting toasted uh, by the sun. There, there are a number of areas where there is a significant amount of radiation just in space. Cosmic rays. Yeah. And people are going, the astronauts could not have survived that. They should all be like riddled with cancer by the time they got back. Yeah. There's the issue of the, of the surface lunar uh, temperature. It gets very hot on the moon when it's daytime and it gets very cold on the moon when it's nighttime. Mm -hmm. That should have affected the uh, the equipment, specifically the um, film. Okay, yeah. Which, you know, film like melts really easily, Yeah, right? it's very temperature sensitive. That should have messed up the film really badly. Right. Uh, we mentioned the flag waving. Yeah. No blast craters underneath the lander when it landed. Mm -hmm. And when you see the uh, when you see the uh, the capsule taking off afterwards, there's no visible flame underneath. Yeah. I feel like, why would that be? Why isn't there like a whole bunch of like dust kicking up? And like, you know, it, it seems very odd that there's no evidence from the rockets. Right. The fact that the Soviet Union was so far ahead in most of the space race and yet still the Americans managed to sneak in and take the moon when the Soviet Union seemed like they were still like, ages away right. from putting a man on the moon. There should have been more lag in the transmissions. There should be about a two-second delay between the moon and the Earth. So when you were listening to the transmissions, why weren't you hearing two seconds between every single thing? Right. A lot of times there was as little as half a second delay. Okay. Where to begin? <laughs> I mean, each one of these things, I think the, the most important thing is that each one of these things has been debunked. Uh, very thoroughly. Okay, yeah. Like, very thoroughly. Yeah. The landing sites have been photographed by various orbiters, which, I mean, yeah, you can come back and say, like, yeah, but, like, if it's the U.S., they're just, like, photoshopping those in there. They're doctoring the photos. Why wouldn't they? Yeah. No, there's been orbiters from Russia. There's been orbiters from India, Japan, China. Why would they send back pictures? Yeah, what did they gain from that? Absolutely nothing. I mean, you could make the argument that, say, a Japan orbit, uh, a Japanese orbiter, you know, yeah, the U.S. and Japan are close enough that they might be willing to 
take part in this. But China? Yeah. No. Russia? No. no. <laughs> <laughs> um, the astronauts also brought back over 800 pounds of moon rocks. Yeah. Which there has been no one who has ever looked at those rocks who is any sort of expert and has gone like, no, I don't think these have come from the moon. Like they are definitely from the moon. There are things about their geological makeup that are completely foreign to the earth and are completely in line with everything we know about the moon. Yeah. There are some conspiracy theorists who say that there was actually an expedition to Antarctica by NASA in 1967. And they said that it was that they, or, or the theory is that they were going there to collect a bunch of lunar uh, meteorites to use as moon rocks. Yeah. Do you have any idea how hard it is to get 800 pounds of any meteorite, let alone meteorites that are definitely 100% from the moon? Yeah. Besides, we didn't really figure out how to determine where meteorites were from or or definitively. Let me rephrase that. We didn't definitively find a meteorite that was from the moon until the early 80s. And that's a big gap. That's a pretty big gap. I mean, I suppose a conspiracy theorist would say that's because NASA took all the other ones and pretended that they were moon rocks brought back by the Apollo astronauts. Yeah. But come on. Yeah. Like 800 pounds is a lot of material to bring back. Yeah. And like, yeah, I know that's over the course of a number of missions, but like that's a significant amount of material on a, on a voyage where they're cutting like every single pound everywhere that they can just to bring that material back. Yeah. So yeah, having those rocks, very useful in terms of evidence that we were there. I mean, the photographic oddities, like I said, have been debunked one by one. Pick one, go check it out. Why people think it's a mistake, go check out the uh, the evidence for why it's fine. Yeah. Um, well, one that I saw fairly often is that it looks like, uh, on some of the pictures, it looks like the crosshairs, which are used to kind of like line up the, the photos and, and kind of make measurements mm-hmm. in the photos, look like they're behind certain things. Mm-hmm. When in reality, that's just a, an artifact of the way that you um, duplicate photography, um, especially in the 60s and 70s. Like the, the crosshairs just kind of get washed out where they're in front of the flags. Yeah. And they're very clear on the black sky. Things like the, the, the stars being missing from the sky is just a fundamental under- misunderstanding of how stars work in the sky yeah. during the daytime. Yes. If it's daytime on Earth and you look up in the sky, you cannot see stars. Yeah. Same thing happens on the moon. The only difference is that there's no atmosphere to make the sky blue due to refraction of the sun's light. Yeah. So when it's nighttime, you can see stars. Also, all of the cameras that are on uh, the mission are calibrated for how bright the moon is. Moon dust is very, very reflective. Mm-hmm. Think of, for example, how the moon shines in the sky when it's nighttime. <laughs> it's very reflective. It is. And one of the problems when you're when you're working with that for photography is you have to counter the amount of ambient light um, yeah. in order to get photographs that aren't completely washed out. Yeah. So you have to calibrate it for a very high light environment, which will automatically mean that anything that's more uh, that's that's much dimmer won't show up properly for example the stars in the sky yeah it it's it's all very yeah like i said pick one go check out why it's not a problem there's plenty of examples yeah we left laser reflectors on the moon they're these cool little reflectors that are made up of mirrors and they're in this really interesting like conical pattern that's kind of tessellated across the surface Mm -hmm. so it's not just a mirror the way that these things work which is very very cool is that the the shape of them means that 
geometrically, no matter what angle a laser is coming at it from, it will bounce the light back in exactly the same direction. Okay. That that sounds like some crazy sci-fi nonsense. That's the same kind of ref- reflector that goes on like vests for bikers at night. Yeah. Like it's just big and in space is really yeah, yeah. what's going on. But they use that for measuring uh, the distance to the moon. That's how they figure out that the moon is getting slightly further okay. away from us every year. But those were set up by astronauts. Now, again, conspiracy theorists will say like, oh, they, they sent up a probe to do that. But yeah. no, they, they were set out by astronauts. Yeah. So anyways. If, if they didn't have the technology to send people to the moon, they don't have the technology to send a probe to do that. Well, I mean, the, this, the Soviets had landed a whole bunch of probes on the moon. Oh, okay. Right? Like, and, and, and so had the U.S. But it, it's, it's not as though they hadn't landed anything on the moon. The thing is that landing something on the moon is easy. Landing something on the moon and then bringing it back is harder. Right. And landing something alive on the moon and then bringing it back still alive, still alive. Is, is like extra hard. Yeah, yeah. In terms of who filmed Neil Armstrong, um, the lander did. It had a fold-out remote control TV camera. They thought of that, of how people would want to see that yeah. before they sent the mission up. <laughs> I, I, I have such a hard time not being like overly condescending about a lot of this stuff yeah. because it's the answers are always so simple and so logical, right? Right. Um, it was a fold-out camera. It was remote controlled. They set it up so it was pointed at the legs so that when he stepped down, you could see him. So he was in frame. Yeah. No problem. Yeah. It's very easy to do. In terms of the uh, Van Allen uh, radiation belts, Dr. James Van Allen himself came out and said, yeah, no, there's not enough radiation there to, <laughs> to be harmful to those astronauts in any way. Right. They passed through those very quickly and they actually made, uh, made sure to do so on a trajectory and at a time that they wouldn't be exposed to a, like, they, they tried to minimize the amount of radiation that they'd be exposed to. Right. And yes, they were exposed to more radiation than you would be in your day-to-day life here on Earth, Earth protected by the atmosphere. Yeah. Uh, and the and the magnetic field. The amount that they got extra from the Van Allen radiation belts was about the same as just living on the Earth for about three years. Right. Um, or about the same amount that a nuclear plant worker would get in about a year. Okay. So, yeah, it was a step up. But what you have to realize is that we get hit by radiation like all the time. Constantly, like, yes. Like we are to a certain extent biologically equipped to deal with a low level of radiation. Yeah. And like while yes, this was a step up in radiation, it wasn't enough to expect major health problems uh, of, of really any sort. Like that's not, it's not a problem. They yeah. were also shielded by their spacecraft. Yeah. You know, which was which kind of designed with, with the radiation belts in mind. Yeah, that's that's not really a, a valid criticism. I mean, even the um, even this the the low Earth orbit astronauts that are going up all the time now to the space station, even they're getting hit with an elevated amount of radiation. And the 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 Apollo astronauts didn't really get hit with much more than somebody who's going up to the space station for a few weeks. Yeah, it's it's within safe limits. Yeah, it takes it takes quite a lot for you to start seeing drastic mm-hmm. changes. In terms of the surface temperature being too high for the equipment, that comes down to an understanding of how heat transfer works, mm-hmm. which physicists understand very well. Yes. And I think that maybe the general public doesn't understand as well, mm-hmm. which is that in a vacuum, there is only one way for heat to transfer, which is by radiant heat. Yeah. Which doesn't transfer a lot of heat. It's not very good at transferring heat at all. No, it's not. 
so it's not like you have a warm atmosphere that's con- uh, that's uh, conducting heat to the film like it would be on a very very hot day on earth yeah it's not like surrounded and having direct physical contact with uh, a hot object it's really only by the amount of heat that's being reflected you know know, sent from the sun reflected off the surface of the moon and hitting the canister that the film is kept in which by the way is insulated protected yeah which ends up being an extremely low amount of heat I know we think of the sun as like warming everything up and being like really, really hot. The percentage of heat that's actually being transferred through radiant heat through space is such a tiny, tiny, tiny percent. Yeah. It's not like we're in anything that conducts heat from the sun, which would burn us all alive very, very, very quickly. Mm-hmm. So that's that's really all that is. The flag waved because the astronauts were moving it. <laughs> which is my favorite i think my favorite criticism of the moon landing footage yeah uh when you check out pictures of when the astronauts aren't touching it it doesn't move at all right you see some side-by-side shots where like clearly the astronaut has moved and the, the the flag has not moved one tiny bit because there's nothing to move it it's in a vacuum yeah the 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 crews also proved that they were in a vacuum during uh apollo 15 when one of the astronauts famously dropped a hammer and a feather at the same time, proving that the that gravity without uh, an atmosphere uh, accelerates all objects at uh, the same pace, which is what Galileo asserted a very long time before these happened. Yeah. And he was absolutely right. Yep. Gravity is not about how heavy something is. Gravity is a force uh, of acceleration. Yep. And it's really cool video, actually, to, to see him dropping the two at the same time. And I don't, I mean, maybe somebody could have faked it in, like, the early 70s. I don't think so. Not well. I I really don't think they could have. Yeah. Oh, I I forgot to mention, the flag is on a rod, if anyone doesn't know this. There's there's a metal rod keeping it up. Otherwise, it would just hang straight down. Yeah. So you want to see the stars and stripes, so you put it on a a bar. Yep. (laughs) Um, Incidentally, all of those flags will be pure white now because of radiation yeah They've all been bleached by the sun which is kind of interesting mm-hmm. but yeah anyways the rockets they were firing so gently at landing that they just kicked up a little bit of dust they didn't create like a full-on crater, crater yeah. like yeah the lunar lander weighed like multiple tons on earth that's the thing you got to remember about a lot of these criticisms the moon has about a sixth of the gravity of the earth and that affects everything, including the weight of the lander and the amount of force necessary to Push it slow off. its its descent from space. Oh, and, yeah. and yeah, the amount that it takes to blast back off into space. Yeah. What happened on its way down is that this this rocket that was firing like a very low velocity kicked up some dust. And then because there's no air on the moon, the dust, dust just settled right back down. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no air to kind of like keep it up. So so everything settles really quickly. You can see that on footage of like the the uh, the astronauts bouncing around and like kicking up dust behind them, and it just like falls flat like really quickly. Mm-hmm. Or especially well on footage of the moon buggy because it's kicking up yeah. this the the dust behind it, and it's just falling flat down like it's water or something yeah. like that. It's a really interesting effect. And again, one would that would be almost impossible to uh, fake with you know early seventies effects. I mean, yeah. Kubrick shot some pretty cool stuff in 2001, but that was a little beyond them. Yeah. In terms of like how even the space race had been, 
looking back now, it kind of seems like the Soviets won everything up until the moon landing when they just like, whoop, U.S. goes past them. Yeah. In reality, the U.S. had been right behind the Soviet Union for almost every single one of the milestones in the space race, sometimes by a matter of like three weeks, like very close behind. Mm -hmm. And in terms of like progress, they hadn't really been that even since about 1966. Uh, in 66, uh, the, the main director of the Soviet program, uh, a guy named Sergei Korolev, died. And he was the, he was the Werner von Braun of the Soviet uh, pro- program. Mm-hmm. He was, they, they, called, they just called him uh, the director in any press releases because they were worried that if the United States found out who he was, they'd have him assassinated. Wow. They did not release his name. <laughs> and he was brilliant. He made amazing amazing spacecraft and when he died the program fell apart a little bit and their answer to the saturn V, which was a rocket called the n1 was a complete disaster okay it failed four out of four test flights just like exploded on the pad oh it was a horribly unreliable rocket and it never actually went into successful use because they couldn't get it working properly yeah that was supposed to be the vehicle that would take them to, to the moon. Uh, it, it couldn't. Yep. Mostly what it did was blow up on the pad. So, no, they hadn't been close for three or four years. Yeah. And when you look at the time scale of the space race, that's a long time. Yeah, for sure. I think the biggest piece of evidence that convinces me, not that I was ever really doubting that we got to the moon, mm-hmm. but I think the nail in the coffin one for this conspiracy theory is that the Soviets never claimed that it was a hoax. Okay, yeah. Why wouldn't you? If there was even the remotest shred of evidence that it had been hoaxed in any way, why wouldn't you? If you were the USSR, Mm -hmm. why wouldn't you? You were monitoring all of those uh, transmissions that were supposedly coming from the moon. Yeah. Of course they were monitoring them. NASA didn't even bother encrypting half of their stuff because they wanted the Soviets to know what they were up to. Yeah, yeah. There were amateur astronomers who were listening into all of this stuff. Just just average Joes were listening into the raw radio footage coming from space. So yeah. that means that if you wanted to hoax it, you would have actually had to send a probe to the moon and like circle the moon and then come back that you were broadcasting stuff to in a way that no one knew that you were broadcasting it to that could then broadcast it back faking the, the raw data. So that all of the amateurs would pick it up properly. Yeah. That's a, that's a lot. I feel like at that point, you might as well just send somebody to the moon. Yeah. Oh, we talked about the time delay. That's because everyone listened to the recordings from the mission control. Of course, there's only delay between, you know, be, be, uh, uh, on the one end yeah. when you're listening from mission control. Mission control doesn't wait two seconds to send stuff back. It's a delay. So they're responding immediately after the, the astronauts. If you l- listen to between mission control and then the astronaut's response, there's always at least two seconds delay. Mm -hmm. It's just where you got the recording from. Yeah. There was so much political capital wrapped up in this that for the Soviet Union, who had been to the moon, who probably had eyes inside the organization, who were monitoring all of the stuff that was going on, to not call them out on it wouldn't have made any sense. Right. Yeah, they would have had a lot to gain from that. And nothing to lose. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I'm surprised they didn't start the rumors themselves that it was fake. Right. I, I People believed it. <laughs> it would have been very successful for them. Yeah, for sure. Um, But no, there was never anything involved with the 
Soviet Union trying to propagate this idea that it was fake. In fact, during the Apollo 13, I was going to call it disaster, but uh, let's say emergency. Okay. <laughs> there were times where the Soviet Union shut down all broadcasts that could have possibly interfered on the same wavelengths as the transmissions from the Apollo 13 capsule to make sure that there was no chance of them disrupting uh, the rescue of those astronauts. Why would they do it if it was fake? Yeah. Besides, I mean, how many thousands of people were working at NASA and not one of them ever talked? That's That would be the real achievement. That would be an achievement. I, I've seen it written. That would be an achievement bigger than actually going to the moon itself. Was convincing not just the astronauts, not just the directors of NASA, not just the military and the government, but also like Joe who makes photocopies. To not lie about any of it, or to, to not uh, tell everyone the truth about all yeah, of this. Yeah, who got fired from their job and decided not to blow the whole thing up out of anger. Honestly, it would be so easy. Yeah. It'd be, the fact that there's no, like, Apollo program Snowden yeah. <laughs> tells, tells, yeah. me, <laughs> tells me that it's probably real. Yeah, yeah. So, I don't know. I, I This is one of the ones that gets me a little bit annoyed when I hear about people talking about it, because it's so it's so easy to show that we we did it. We made it there. Yeah. And why do you like why do you wanna why do you wanna dump all over this? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I and I get it. Like I said, I, I get it. People think that, you know, big difficult things are so difficult that they're impossible. Yeah. And they have to find other explanations for it. Sometimes we just pull off really cool things when we work together. Mm-hmm. And like I said at the beginning of this, I, I think that's worth celebrating a little bit. Oh, so, for sure. I totally agree. I think that's Pretty much what I had on the moon landings in terms of going over the conspiracy theories and the and the rebuttals. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you have anything else on uh, on landing on the moon? I, d- I don't think so. I think I w- I'm pretty much on board with you that, you know, there doesn't seem to be any real reason to... It's not even that there isn't any... Yeah, there, there's there's no reason to doubt it. Yeah. It's not that they didn't have reasons to, like, maybe fake it. It's that, like... They went. They would have had to go through so much trouble to fake it that the moon trip almost seems as difficult. Yeah, exactly. Also, one of my favorite things about this conspiracy theory is them being like, Stanley, we need to talk. <laughs> People thought that it was a little too serious the first couple of times around. Uh, I like what you did with 13. Got people engaged, got people excited, uh, but they're losing interest again. How about this time we have the astronauts play golf on the moon? <laughs> Let's throw a little Kubrick. whimsy in this time. Listen, we feel like we need a little levity. Just bring a little humor to it. Just really humanize these astronauts a little bit. Have them say, yippee, look at me, mom, I'm on the moon. <laughs> They'll never think it's scripted. <laughs> and Kubrick just throwing his hat on the ground and storming out of the room. Yeah, yeah. Instead of had it, I'm a professional. <laughs> I can't work like this. Call Spielberg. Call Spielberg. (laughs) All right. Well, I think we'll leave the moon landing there. And uh, next time we'll come back with a couple more conspiracy theories. Some of the really good ones. Yeah, yeah. Neither of the conspiracy theories we talked about today really hold any water. Both the presence of the years between 614 and 9-11 and the fact that we landed on the moon are virtually indisputable. But what about some of the conspiracy theories out there that uh, might have a little bit more to them? 
We're going to talk about a few of those next time. That episode will be up on June 15th. As the format of this show inevitably leads to factual errors, I encourage you to visit hi101.ca and check out the corrections posted there. That's hi101.ca. If there are any errors I haven't addressed there, please let me know and I'll add them to the notes. And remember, HI101 is a broad introduction. If the subject we've discussed today has caught your attention, I encourage you to look for more information. It only gets better from here. I'm Adam Blesky, and this has been HI101.